Hello friends, and welcome to Robcast 106. This one is called Pearls and Pigs. And in this episode, I'm going to do a sermon. And the sermon is called Pearls and Pigs. And uh, But before we do that, before we get to the sermon, uh, let's talk about launching rockets. Because launching rockets is now out. We just released it, and you can get it at my site. Um, here's how launching rockets started I noticed, probably started three years ago, maybe four, that whenever I was speaking somewhere and people were asking questions, inevitably someone asked a question about being a parent, something about their kid. And I had this sort of standard response I always give to when anybody asks a question about being a parent, as I always say, my kids still live at home, so I'm the last person who should be giving parenting advice. Um, but then I would pause and say but I do have some observations. <laughs> and people would laugh, and then I would do these little riffs on being a parent. And uh, I noticed all sorts of resonance with these little riffs I was doing, my observations on being a parent. And I started uh, keeping track of them. I actually, at one point, I actually had a list going, and so I started writing them down. And then I would share them with Kristen, and I tell her like what I said somewhere, wherever I was, and she would have this commentary on my observation. And I, always, I would always think, oh my word, her commentary on my observation on being a parent is like better than the observation. And so uh, eventually I, I, the list got long. And so I recorded um, the list. And I named it Launching Rockets, 17 Observations on Being a Parent. So it's a three hours uh, long audio series. The first two hours is me doing my 17 observations on being a parent. And then the last hour is Kristen doing her commentary on my observations, which, as we all know, we save the best for last, is so much better than the observations. So um, I've been working on this project for several years, and uh, now we've just released it, and you can get it at robel.com. So that's just some serious excitement right there for me. And then, summer tour. Uh, the How to Be Here tour. Uh, I'm going all over the place. So Australia, um, I'm doing Sydney, Brisbane, and Melbourne, and I'm teaming up with John O'Fisher and the fantastic folks at Wake Up Project, and uh, we're going to do these all-day events where I'm going to be talking about hope and fear and failure and risk and how to find your path and... Um, yeah, so we're doing that, and then I'm going to New Zealand, and I was there on tour in 2005, and now, what is it, 11 years later, I'll be doing a How to Be Here Evening Edition in Auckland, then um, Belfast, Dublin, Paris, and London, so I uh, would love to see um, all of you, and all my German friends, and Austrian friends, and Swiss friends, and Dutch friends, uh, come on down to Paris or London. And, um, you know, let's all be here together. So there we go. That's what's going down. Now, it's time for a sermon. Um, and this sermon 
is called Pearls and Pigs. And it's based on this line, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. Uh, perhaps you've heard this before. Perhaps you've heard somebody quote it and you've thought, that is the weirdest phrase. Or perhaps you heard somebody say it and you thought, that makes no sense. And I don't think the person who is saying that knows what it means or makes any sense. Or maybe you heard a sermon on not casting your pearls before swine and were like, that, <laughs> that is the most convoluted, strange thing to say. So first off, some basics. Um, don't cast your pearls before swine is a line from Jesus. It's from the book of Matthew. There are four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, casting your pearls before swine is found in Matthew, and it's found in chapter 7. Now, here's why that's interesting. In chapter 5, 6, and 7, uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, whether it's a continuous sort of series of teachings or an editor sort of stitched together a bunch of things Jesus said that decades later his followers remembered, it's this way of understanding how to live in the world, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's about compassion. It's about generosity. It's about being a non-anxious presence. It's about materialism. It's about worry. It's about self-righteousness. It's about nonviolence. Um, it's about grace. I'm telling you this. I don't know if anything has sort of guided my life more uh, than these teachings. Like you, you can discuss them and study them and wrestle with them forever. Uh, they're just amazing. So this, don't cast your pearls before swine, comes towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's a classic case of a phrase people have heard, but oftentimes have no idea what it means or where it comes from. And I want to show you what's going on here and why it's helped me so much. So first, there's a progression here. And the progression is just below the surface. So it's not random bits and pieces. The don't cast your pearls before swine isn't just sort of pulled out and attached to a bunch of other stuff. There's actually a brilliant unfolding lin linear logic that when uh, you see it, oh, my word. So as is often the case with the scriptures, with the text, you read it, but then you read what comes before it and you read what comes after it because you're looking for larger flow. You're looking to get caught up in what is the thing that is unfolding here. Otherwise, you can just make a mess of things. So the section before the pearls before swine begins uh, end of chapter six with Jesus saying, therefore, I don't tell you, I tell you, don't worry about your life. Um, and it's very straightforward. Don't worry. And then he talks about possessions and food and essentially paying the bills. Um, all of the stuff that keeps us awake at night, right? The stuff that makes us anxious, that makes us worried, like keeping on it, making sure that enough money is coming in and not too much is going out. Um, but what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching us to live as a non-anxious presence in the world. It's about committing yourself to the non-anxious care and trust of the divine. Now, whether or not you believe in God, whether or not you're religious or not, uh, this, is a, this is a much deeper way of seeing the world. Jesus is giving very practical advice for how to have a bigger perspective on your life. 
Uh, anybody listening ever find yourself owned by worry? Ever found yourself in the grip of anxiety and you just can't shake it? In this section of teachings, these are not abstract ideas about what happens when you die. That wasn't what Jesus talked about. He's talking about wisdom for today. You commit yourself, you surrender, you trust that you will be taken care of, not in a shallow, superficial sort of way. He even earlier teaches his disciples this prayer, or I should say a way of praying, which is really a way of practicing calmness and serenity and surrender. It's about living with less anxiety and more peace, less worry and more calm. Anybody need that? Anybody need that perspective? And so Jesus points to the birds and he points to the flowers and he's like, they're taken care of. You're going to be okay. So the section before the pearls before pigs is about surrendering yourself, about you entering in to a place of serenity and non-anxious living. Then chapter seven, the thing swings from you as an individual and chapter seven begins, the next section, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Basically, what you're giving out, it's all going to come back around. Now, here's why this is interesting. Because there's a giant turn here in the unfolding flow of these teachings. It begins with you, and then it turns to your relationships with others. It's about you living with less worry and less anxiety, having a bigger perspective, surrendering yourself, then it turns to others. And it begins with don't judge or you will be judged. Now, there are essentially three different ways the word judged is used. And people sometimes are like, you know, I don't want to judge, which I totally get. Sometimes the word is simply refers in a legal setting. So when it says do not judge or you too will be judged, sometimes the word judged is just about what happens in a courtroom. And we're all fine with that because we have, you have to have a, judge, a justice system of some point. So sometimes it's just a legal use. That's not the context here. Sometimes the word judge, it's the Greek word krino, for those of you keeping score at home, K-R-I-N-O, um, it simply means to make a decision. So you are judging all the time. You're making a decision about what to wear, whether the stove is hot enough, whether to turn left or right in your car. You're making decisions all the time. That's not, Jesus is not saying don't make decisions. He's not saying abolish the justice system. There's a third use of this word, this Greek word krino, that you'll often find in the scriptures. It is judging as understood as the thing that happens when you lower another in order to raise yourself. Judging is when you push another down, which then elevates you. Another way to say it would be, it is self-righteousness at the expense of others. It's when uh, you shoot someone else down to inflate your own sense of righteousness and goodness. It's when you stand over someone. So when it says don't judge, uh, do not try and control or manipulate others through condemnation 
or negativity because it will come back around. But then it goes on. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? By the way, uh, one scholar calls this giantesque language, which I love. So when Jesus uses this very sort of exaggerated over-the-top language, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye or the log in your eye? Now, this is just straight theater. This is very funny. Um, how can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? By the way, if you have a plank in your own eye, um, you couldn't get close enough to the person because a plank is a long piece of wood. So right there, this is Jesus being funny. Um, this is very, very funny. I assume the audience would have laughed because this is like sort of over the top, absurdist, surreal. Um, you hypocrite, Jesus then uses a theater term. Um, there's a reason why, by the way, he uses a number of theater terms. We should talk about that sometime. So it says, you hypocrite, uh, you actor, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from the other person's eye. So essentially, sometimes what we do is we try to control others. Let me take the speck out of their eye as a way of avoiding our own issues, our own pain. As long as you're focusing on them, and what they've done wrong and how they don't get it and how clueless they are. As long as you're focusing on them, then you don't have to do the difficult work with yourself. So first, you surrender yourself. You live with a larger perspective. You live with an abiding trust and love that you're going to be okay. You live with a bigger perspective. You surrender yourself, then it turns to others. And he says, don't judge, don't focus on the flaws of another as a way of avoiding your own issues. And then we get to the next section, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. <laughs> That's the next section. We go from judging to specks and sawdust and logs and planks to do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. <laughs> I love it. That's what that goes to next. Whatever you do, don't give to dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. Because if you do that, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. What? How do we get from judging to sawdust to dogs to being torn to pieces? Why does this progression end at violence? It ends with you being torn to pieces. Jesus is like, don't judge and then the culmination of this little section here is, don't judge or you could get torn to pieces by wild dogs. Uh, there's one ancient uh, translation that says, wild boars will tear you to pieces. Um, okay, first, the section before is about surrendering yourself to the care of the divine as a spiritual exercise of trust, becoming more and more a non-anxious presence. This doesn't mean you don't work hard, doesn't mean you don't take precautions, doesn't mean you don't sweat it out, doesn't mean you don't cover yourself. It means 
You do what you can, you throw yourself into it, you do the work, and then you live with an abiding serenity that you're going to be okay. Now, and here's the kicker. And then when it turns to the don't judge, if it's about surrendering yourself, the next section is about what happens when you don't surrender others. It's when we aren't at peace with the path of others. Because when we're not at peace with others, what do we often try to do? We try to control them. Have you ever felt like someone was trying to control you? Have you ever felt like someone was trying to get you to do their agenda, like you weren't living up to their list? Have you ever felt the displeasure of someone who didn't approve of your choices? When we haven't surrendered someone, when we haven't turned them over to the divine, to a higher power, to the universe, however you want to say it, what we then do is we often anxiously try to control people. Sometimes we try to control people through bad things, through negativity, through condemnation. We judge them because we're trying to get them to do whatever it is we want them to do. Now, the truth is tribes and families and offices and communities are like systems. And obviously, there's a whole world of what's called systems theory, and there are experts, therapists, uh, scholars who are sort of expert at the dynamics of systems. But uh, think about it. Think what happens, have you ever been part of a tribe, ever been part of a family, ever been part of a group, and you weren't playing by the rules? What does the family, the system, the group often do? You get shamed. How dare you say that? Have you lost your way? Why are you reading those people? Why are you even flirting with these crazy ideas? There's a shame factor, which is to try and get you. You get judged, which is an attempt to try and get you to conform again. Anybody ever had that happen? People say things, oh, but you've been with us from the beginning. Whatever this crazy thing you're talking about is, come on, that's not who you are. Have you ever had uh, somebody say, hey, you're one of us, you're blood. Have you ever had somebody say, but you... But, we, but, you know, you signed up for this. What are you doing? Oftentimes systems, because remember, systems always bend towards self-preservation. A system wants to keep the system intact. Imagine a home where dad's an alcoholic and everybody's pretending like dad hasn't been an alcoholic until one kid wakes up and is like, this is crazy. This is completely crazy. We're all acting like dad is an alcoholic. So the one kid speaks up and says, dad's an alcoholic. What does the system have to do? Because systems always veer towards self-preservation, maintenance, protection. So what happens? Everybody turns and shames the person, right? What are you doing? Why are you saying this? Why are you disrupting? Why are you speaking up like this? Everything's been fine. Why don't you just be quiet? If that doesn't work, if shaming, negativity, judging doesn't work, then what does the system do? It usually woos you, doesn't it? Come on. Come on. You're, you're part of us. Come on, we go way back. Think of what we've been through. No one knows you like us. We were there when you were just starting out. If the system can't shame you, judge you, or condemn you into conformity, often it will shift gears into wooing and seducing you back in, winning you back in through charm and charisma. So 
in this passage, essentially the turn is you surrender yourself and then you surrender others. You want to live with less worry and you want to live in a non-anxious way in the world, surrender yourself and then surrender others. If you aren't at peace with someone's path, if you aren't reconciled to their freedom and autonomy, if you aren't okay with the fact that people are free agents who can do what they want, you may try to control them with negative things. Now, sometimes if that doesn't work, we try to control others through good things. We may even give them gifts trying to get them to do it. We may even praise them. We may even go out of our way to serve them because we're trying to get them back in line. Have you ever had someone do something good for you and it actually produced a violent response in you that made you angry? Anybody ever had this? Somebody did something for you. It was like a gift. And in a strange way, it made you, it like got you really cranked up and angry and you couldn't figure out why. Maybe they were hovering around or they were always in your business. The gift they gave you may even have cost them something. So it was a good thing, but somehow it didn't feel good. Have you ever had that feeling like somebody was in your business and it felt they were expressing, they kept saying, because they care. So you'd think, oh, caring for people is good. And yet you had this feeling like that, but it doesn't feel good. It feels choking. It feels like they're crushing me. It feels like they're manipulating me. And then you realized, oh, of course. There were strings attached. It feels like they're trying to get me to do something. So it was a good thing, but it was driven by a desire to get you back in line, to get you to do something or to respond in a particular way. And what does Jesus say? Don't um, give to dogs something that's sacred or holy. Don't cast your pearls before pigs. Because if you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Of course, be careful. Because if you try to control or manipulate people or work out your agenda through them, through gifts or money or good things, it may actually drive them away. They may sense it and they may become violent. Yeah, I know, I know. You surrender yourself and then you surrender others. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard somebody in a group ask a question that begins like this. How can I get my friend to, or they ask, um, I'm trying to figure out how to get my family to, or how can I make my partner, or uh, so-and-so just doesn't get it. How can I get my fill-in-the-blank to? Um, how can you make somebody do something? Uh, the answer may be nothing. The answer may be nothing. Uh, sometimes you see it with parents. How can I guarantee that my kid, you can't? Um, how can I make sure that my kid, uh, you may not be able to? How can I essentially control this person? Um, you can't. They're going to do what they're going to do. Is there someone in your life who you are not at peace with their freedom, autonomy, and power? Now, this doesn't mean that 
somebody may be making decisions or doing things that you think, man, that is so stupid or that is so destructive. Uh, this does not mean that you don't have lots and lots of opinions, but this person is going to do what they're going to do. Is there anyone in your life who you are not at peace with the freedom they have to chart their own path? They have their path and you have theirs. Now, if you're like me, you may like, yeah, but they may do something stupid. You're right. But they miss, but they might be missing out on an opportunity or a better future. You're right. Uh, but, but they're oblivious. They may be, but they're so backward and crazy and repressed and misguided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this doesn't mean that you don't care for them or you aren't there for them or you wouldn't do anything for them. And maybe there are opportunities when you can just say to somebody, maybe you have that sort of relationship where you can say, listen, can I just get something off my chest? Uh, here's what I think about this, take it or leave it. But maybe you have that kind of relationship, beautiful. This doesn't mean you don't care about people. You aren't invested. You aren't caring for them at a deep sort of heart level. It's about your anxiety about their path. It's about your anxiety and transferring your anxiety to them. So here's what you do. You relinquish your anxiety. You let it go. You surrender them to the divine. Is there anybody you need to set free? So what Jesus is doing in, in, in this series of teachings as he's teaching us how to live in the world in a non-violent, non-anxious way in which we become a force for grace and compassion and generosity and kindness and truth. He's teaching us how to have such a firm, grounded center that there's no strings attached, that we're giving and selflessly serving others and yet with strong boundaries and a firm spine. And one of the ways we do this is we begin with ourselves and our regular daily practice. If you're like me, I need help all the time I can get of turning things over, of surrendering things, of giving everything I can to a situation, of doing the work, of doing the due diligence, of sweating it out, of covering the bases. And then at a deep level of the soul, you entrust yourself to the loving care of the divine. And maybe for you, the idea of a divine or a God isn't, okay, that's fine. But uh, it's like interesting to me how in um, AA, in recovery, uh, you surrender yourself to a higher power as you've come to understand this higher power. That's fine, that's fine. It all works, it all helps. You, be, you surrender yourself and then you surrender others. When you don't surrender others, we end up trying to control them, sometimes through negative things, sometimes through positive things, but all of it is an attempt to control others. And there's no joy there. There's no freedom there. The freedom comes when you turn people over. You love them. You're there for them. You give to them. Perhaps you have the kind of relationship where you can talk freely about things, but you acknowledge that they do not belong to you. They do not belong to you. And that frees you. And it also frees them. 
one of the things that's so powerful about the giving to dogs what is sacred or giving pearls before pigs, it's what happens when you're giving something to someone who can't appreciate it. That's the whole pearls and pigs thing. Don't give things to people they aren't ready for because it may backfire. Don't give things to people who aren't appreciative. Don't give things to people as a way of trying to control them. They're not there yet. You can't take people where they don't want to go. Uh, this first began to hit me when I first started out as a pastor. And I uh, was meeting with all these different people with incredible burdens and pains and situations. And I, I'd meet with people and they'd lay out some problem and we'd sort of work through it and talk through all the issues in play. And then they'd leave and I would realize, oh, they're going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> they're they're actually free to make an even bigger mess of these things. And I would walk with people for years and watch them make huge messes of things. And they'd come back in and complain. And, and you'd be like, well, you know, we talked about this. And then they'd go out and do something else. And I realized you, you want to be free and you want to actually be able to help people. Then you have to surrender them so that when you're present with them, you give them everything you have, but you acknowledge they don't belong to you. Is there anybody you've been trying to control? You've been trying to manipulate? You've been saying, how do I get them to, or how do I make them, or how can I be sure that, or how do I have a guarantee that they're not going to? Um, the answer is there probably isn't one, but you can set them free. And then, of course, you can actually help. There you are, my friends, pearls and pigs. May you, my friends, live in the world with an abiding serenity. May you selflessly give to others. May generosity pour out of you. May you have strong boundaries. May you not live with anxiety, but may you surrender yourself and others to divine trust, knowing that you are going to be okay, and so are they. And may grace and peace be with you.